Okay, this is from uh, Mark uh, chapter 11, verses 12 to 26 or 25, depending which version you've got. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from you, eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief, of, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. John, good morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words, and we thank you that the, the holders, the teachers, the guiders, and we pray you'd open up uh, wisdom into our lives today. That will change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this is a passage about fruitfulness and uh, or lack of fruitfulness, and uh, that's kind of our search this morning, searching for fruitfulness. And um, last year, I bought some chili seeds and uh, got these little seeds. I thought, if you're going to grow a plant, at least grow something that's going to put some fire in your belly. So um, that's what I attempted to do. And uh, we put them in some compost and we watered them, as you meant to do. Put them on the window ledge, trying to find the sunniest spot in the house because they're kind of chili plant, plants from, I don't know, Mexico or somewhere. Quite a challenge in our house, but never mind. We found somewhere where the sun kind of creeps around for a few hours every day. And uh, they started to grow using the nutrients from, uh, that we give them, and they started to kind of come up. And I think they did pretty well. Not the best photograph, but um, we got a fairly good crop out of these uh, chilies. I was quite amazed, impressed that you could do this in Birmingham. And uh, there we go, That's, uh, we're still eating them, got a few in the freezer. However, however, this year, it's not gone so well. Okay, this, is, this year has struggled. <laughs> And uh, maybe, you know, there's not enough nutrient left in the compost. Maybe I just didn't water them at all over winter. <laughs> um, this is more of a stick than a stem. And uh, so they've been, uh, they've been kind of abandoned for the year and uh, not going well. And I really feel like they've had the Mark 11 curse set upon them, you know, that you will never produce fruit ever again, even though it may be myself that neglected them just a little bit. But just as, uh, as plants grow and they develop, uh, they consume the nutrients that they need, the water, you know, the sunlight, the everything else that, that makes plants grow, so that they can produce fruits. That's, that's the thing, so that the fruit has seeds and they then reproduce themselves uh, in that. But likewise, as people um, and as, as Christian people, as followers of Jesus, 
we're not to not just consume, but we're also to be fruitful. Okay, we are to produce fruit and we're to reproduce our faith. Like plants, we're, we're to be firmly rooted in our faith and, uh, and then we're to be nourished, we're to be watered and we need to grow up. But we grow up for a purpose and that is to live by faith and to produce fruits of faith uh, through our lives. Whether it's the fruit of the Spirit, whether it's the fruit of good works, the fruit of character, the fruit of our hands, whatever we do every day, the fruits of faith, the fruits of witness in many, simple, in many, many, many different ways. And Jesus was, was moving or leaving from a place called Bethany. So I thought I'd find out where Bethany was on the map um, of, uh, of that time. Because Bethany means, apparently, a place of fig trees. So that's the meaning of the place. And he was heading towards Bethphage, which is, means a place of young figs or not yet ripe uh, figs. And it was clearly an area near the Mount of Olives, if you can just about see that, that was well known for its fig trees. And so Jesus sees a particular fig tree in the distance and he looks at it and he sees the leaves on it and he goes over to see if it's got any fruit on it. And when he gets there, he finds it has got no fruit on it, only leaves. Because it says it wasn't the season for figs. Okay, this is April and uh, presumably figs come out in May or June or something like that. But outrageously, he curses the fig tree for having no fruit on it. Seems a little bit harsh. But throughout the Bible, the, the fig tree is a symbol for Israel. It's a symbol for um, the, the temple, um, which was at the heart of the, the nation's religion. And Jesus is making the point that both Israel and the temple are no longer being fruitful, that they've dried up, they've become corrupt, that they are no longer making a difference in the world. They're unfruitful, utterly barren. Instead of when Jesus, the Son of God, has appeared, they should be blossoming, they should be being fruitful, they should be doing amazing things, and yet they are unable to deliver, just like uh, this fig tree that isn't bearing any fruit. And uh, there are a couple of ways that we could also apply that into our lives. Perhaps this place of young figs, okay, Beth Fage, um, as is mentioned, Jesus expects to find some fruit, even if it's not ripe yet. Uh, even if it's just the early signs. So if you've ever seen an apple tree, they produce these little, little apples which sometimes drop off in June. They call it June drop. Okay, they're, not, they're not the big apples you get in the supermarket, but there's some signs of fruit earlier than, than you might expect. And you might consider yourself to be a young person today. And Jesus expects to see fruit in your life. He expects to see what, whatever age we are and whatever stage we're at, there may still be plenty of development to come, but he expects and he's looking for fruit in our lives, fruit of character. Um, and we get it all wrong at times, don't we? We get so much wrong in our lives. And yet, what godly characteristics is God growing in your life and is he showing through your life? The fruit of our hands and our lives, the work that we do, the studies that we have, the things that we make and the way in which we serve others, the way that we show kindness to people around us, um, how you try to change things around you that are wrong in life. You know, the culture at school, the culture at university or on social media. You know, how you speak up for people in situations that are unfair or not true when it takes courage and wisdom to do so. And how you explain the reason you have for your faith and the things that God has done for you. Because Jesus believes that you are fruitful. He's chosen you for fruitfulness. And 
In fact, when you start to look at it, you'll probably find there's a lot more fruit coming out of your life than you ever realized. But John 15, he says, I've chosen you to go and bear fruit. But not only for, for young people can we apply that, perhaps for even all of us, because Jesus is looking for fruitfulness in season and out of season. He's looking at it when we're ready and when we're not ready. Again, our character, the work we do, uh, the way we mold, mold culture, the kindness we show, truth and justice we stand up for, the way we explain uh, our faith. Um, not just when we're on duty, but he says, as Peter says, always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have. And um, this passage actually gives us some challenges that we all have to being fruitful in our lives, which I think are incredibly helpful because most of us probably want to be fruitful. We want to, you know, what is our purpose on life? What, how can we be fruitful and, uh, and show greater fruitfulness in our lives? So here are some of the challenges that, that we pull out of this passage. First of all, what are we feeding on? Verse 12 says that Jesus was hungry. He's physically hungry. And he goes over to try and find even just a few little bits of fruit uh, on this tree. And there's another time when Jesus was hungry. You may remember in Luke chapter 4, in the wilderness, when he's being tempted. And uh, he's being tempted to doubt his father. And the devil says to him, okay, if you're the son of God, make this stone turn into bread. And Jesus answers, it is written. He takes a bit of Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2 and he says, It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We don't only feed physically, but we're to feed spiritually. And Jesus models feeding on this, this word, the God of God in the Bible. He reads it, he digests it, and then he uses it and relies on it in that situation. The prophet Amos in uh, chapter 8 and verses 11 to 12, says that one day he warns of a famine of God's word. A famine of God's word. And in many ways we live in a world in the West perhaps where there is a growing spiritual famine of God's word, where God's word becomes muzzled by secular society. It's harder to, to find out what does God say. Um, but also perhaps part of it is us as well. Do we know how to feed on God's word? Do we know how to, to get the nutrition, as it were, out of that. Um, now, many of you may have seen some of the Bear Grylls series, uh, The Island. Anyone seen that? And I've, I've not seen a lot of it, I've seen a few bits. But basically, people are marooned on this island and they've got to survive. Okay, they're left on it, they've got to learn how to find food, how to prepare it, eat it, and survive. And uh, the thing is, though, that Bear has a quick 10 minute run around the island and he already knows there's plenty of food on the island if you know where to look. He knows how to get it and you know, he can get anything out of anywhere. And if you've got bear with you, you know you're gonna be okay. But these guys haven't, they're on their own. Do they know where to find the food? Do they know how to get it out? And uh, life is like that. Life is like that island. But spiritual life and our spiritual hungers requires spiritual food. And if we feed on the wrong stuff, like the, the folks who started drinking that water in the lagoon and all got sick, if we feed on the wrong stuff, we get ill, but we need to know how to feed on the right stuff and how to do that. And it isn't as easy as we think. It's not, this is not a packed lunch that you open and is pre-prepared. But actually, this is like a survival kit and we've got to learn how to use it. This is a manual for living. We've got to learn how to read it, how to ask questions of it. So do you know how to feed on this? Okay, do you know how to drink the milk that is in here? Do you know how to chew on the meat that is in here. 
Do you know how to be encouraged in life when things are all around you are really hard from here? Do you know how to do that for yourself? Or do you rely on other people to do it for you and telling you what's in here? So the question is, would you survive or do you survive on the island of life um, on your own? Because to be fruitful in life, we need to feed on God's word and read it and study it and dig out the goodness from the ground, if you like, um, like bear might do, feast on it so it becomes part of our lives. So that's the first challenge, is are we feeding on the right things to be fruitful? The second challenge is finding. Uh, verse 13, Jesus says, seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Jesus is expecting to find something even out of season. And every one of us needs to discover what fruits we produce in life. Um, there's all the things we mentioned already which are common to all of us and, and, and any aspect of discipleship. But what is, what is the purpose of your life? What specific things has God given you, you to do? Because when we understand that, that helps us to be fruitful. And it comes out of a few things. It comes out of knowing who you are, um, what you do, or what, you, what you're good at, what, who you do it for, what they need, and how they are changed or transformed by what you do. And it can apply to any and every, every area of work, whether it's paid, whether it's unpaid, whether you produce something, whether you design something, whether you care for someone, whether you organize something, whether you teach, whatever it would be, um, it applies. There's a guy called Adam Leipzig that talks about this. And he says, you know, it's that moment when you go into a party and somebody says to you, uh, what do you do? And you're like, you're never quite sure what to say. You know, sometimes you're in between things. Sometimes you're not really sure what you do do. Um, sometimes what you seem to do is not actually what you do. Um, or what you're paid to do isn't how you define yourself. So what he says is this. He says, all you have to do is tell people how you do what you do changes people. How does what you do transform people in some way? And he gives some examples. He says, for example, I give kids amazing dreams. What do you do? I give kids amazing dreams. How do you do that? Well, I write books for children so that they fall asleep and have amazing dreams. Someone else, I help people look and feel their best. Oh, really? How do you do that? Well, I design clothes for men and women who need affordable choices to look and feel their best. Someone else, I help people get great work into the world. How do you do that? Well, I train entrepreneurs and creative people to take decisive actions so that they can get their best work out into the world. And when, you, when you've got something like that, people want to know. People want to know, how do you create such amazing dreams for kids? How do you help people to look and feel their best? How can you really get people to put their greatest work out into the world? And as you start to talk about it and tell them what, what you actually do, how you change things, then you can also help them start to discover what their life might be about as well. So as a teacher, perhaps, you help kids to reach their full potential in life. I don't know. Um, I teach kids how to learn so that they can apply it to their lives and they can reach their full potential. I was thinking about this for myself, so what do, what do I do? And uh, you know, some of the things, particularly with you know, the evangelistic Bible studies and alpha type things that we've heard about that I've been involved in, you know, I'm thinking, well, I help people discover wonderful things about God. 
it's a far more interesting phrase at a party than I'm a church worker. Okay? I help people discover wonderful things about God. I help people who are curious about faith and want to understand what life is about to discuss and discover some wonderful things about God. Probably that could be true for all of us in this room. But uh, what a call. But what has God given you to do in season and out of season? And uh, it's really helpful. These questions, you can process them. They're in Outlook as well. You know, what do you do? Who do you do it for? What are their needs? And how does transformation come about? Finding what I do. But I can also apply that on a Sunday. When I come on a Sunday, what do I do? How do I make a difference here? Because Jesus comes and it says the temple worshippers there clearly were not doing what they were supposed to be doing on their day of worship. It says Jesus started driving out those in the temple courts who were buying and selling, overturning the tables of the money changers. Okay, this was the section of the temple that was meant for the Gentiles. It was meant for the non-Jews. It was a place where those who weren't part of the Jewish faith could come and experience God and find out for themselves. It's a place where they would come and they would be a, a place of prayer for all nations, it says. Not just this nation, all nations, for those outside. And they were making it hard for non-Jews to be part of things because they were forcing them to change their currency into this temple currency and to pay the temple tax so they could get in. They were getting ripped off. It was a den of robbers in the process. But how can we serve others? How can we serve those that are not part of here? Perhaps as they come on a Sunday, others, guests, newcomers, um, whether in a formal role, you know, welcoming someone on a door, whether in an informal role after a service or during or whatever, looking out for people, including them, involving them, inviting them to something, connecting them with someone. And let's make this place accessible and welcoming and encouraging and a place where all people can grow of all ages and of all nations and of all stages of life. So what has God given you to do on a Sunday? So we're to feed on God's word, we're to find what we're to do in life. The third challenge to fruitfulness is fear. Verse 18, it says the religious people feared Jesus because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. He was a threat to them, okay? They feared his popularity in this situation. And perhaps we don't do something um, out of fear. Fear can stop us doing something that actually would be incredibly fruitful. If only we, we stepped out and did it. We might fear someone else getting the credit. So oh, I'm not going to do that. Or it may be that we're fearful of the commitment involved or the cost that might come. It might be that we're fearful of failure. So mm, it could be you're fearful of success. As someone recently said, you know, if I invite someone to church, what if they say yes? You know, they're fearful of success in that. Um, and it's a big block of fear in many of our lives. Um, and if you want to be inspired by this, by the way, if you want to kind of how to overcome fear, go and watch Eddie the Eagle, the film. Brilliant. Okay, watch him on the 90 metre run. Fantastic. Fearless guy. And uh, well, I'm not sure he was fearless, but he, he overcame it all. Fourth challenge um, is to do with friendship. Verse 19. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out to the city. Okay, he doesn't do this alone. His isolation can rob us of fruitfulness, but friendship can enhance fruitfulness. Um, Andy Flanagan uh, wrote a really inspiring book uh, about Christians in politics called For Those Who Show Up. And uh, he strongly encourages people to get involved and engage with politics, to show up, be at the table, in the conversation, get involved. 
But he also encourages uh, people to consider getting involved directly in politics. But he says this, this is his piece of advice to anybody who wants to do that. He says, make sure you've got people that are gonna root for you. He says, get a clan around you. Who's your clan? Who are the people that will support you, whatever? Who are the people that will encourage you in the dark times? Who are the people that will hold you to account and encourage you in your darkest hour? Who are the people who will do that for you, who will stick with you through thick and thin? And uh, who's the clan that you have? Who are the people around you? And he, he quotes this uh, African proverb, if you want to go fast, go it alone. If you want to go far, go together. And uh, I remember one of the first things that I did when I came to, to Birmingham as a postgraduate student was I, I looked for a, a, an advertised Bible study because I knew I'd find some other, other Christians that I could meet and uh, people that I could mission with and, uh, and, and live my Christian life out with. And I met another guy called Andy, became a really good friend of mine, and we decided that we'd meet every Monday morning at 7.45 just to pray together and to encourage one another. And in that year, we, we ran evangelistic Bible studies um, we bust open a cult on campus, that was our claim to fame. We ran outreach events and then we decided that we would move into Balsall Heath together because we wanted to just be part of inner city Birmingham, cross-cultural Birmingham. And we saw people come to faith through that. And that fruitfulness came out of friendship. Um, here's, here's another one. I, I found this summary of some minutes from the very first meeting of a campaign group. Uh, minute number one decided the current law was bad. And the committee's main aim was to persuade others of this fact, mostly by producing publications. Number two, decided who should be on the committee and that the quorum was three, minimum number of members that they needed for a, a present meeting to count. Minute number three, choose one of the group, so he chose one of the group as a treasurer, but he can't spend anything unless the whole committee says he can. I like that one. Number four, agreed to announce what we've decided and ask others to join and send money. Number five, went for a drink. Few friends, simple start. And that was the minutes of the first meeting, May 22nd, 1787, of the London, what became known as the London Abolition Committee. 20 years later, it led to the outlawing of the slave trade and all the other stories surrounding that. But that's where it started. Fruitfulness started out of friendship. Hebrews 10, 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, encouraging one another. The fifth uh, challenge to fruitfulness is faith, says Jesus. Verse 22, have faith in God, Jesus answered. And then he goes on to speak about mountain moving faith, which we covered as, as part of the Try Praying series. And we looked at how God has power over circumstances, he has power over nature, and he has power to change human hearts. And uh, we bring our lives before God in prayer. We bring our lives in line with him because John 15, uh, Jesus said, no branch can bear fruit by itself. I am the vine, says Jesus, you are the branches, remain in me. And this is about prayer, it's about faith, it's about dependency, it's about surrendering our purpose to Jesus, well, whatever we are good at, surrendering it to God, and our call, and surrendering our gifting, and our passions, and our opportunities that might come our way, and saying, thank you, but these are yours, how you want me to use them. But at the same time as we surrender them, we, we also then pick them up in faith. 
We pick up our purpose, we pick up our call, we pick up our gifting, we pick up our passions and our opportunities by faith and depending on God to make a difference with them. Many of you will know the story of uh, Amy Carmichael, an Irish girl. She grew up in a church and at the age of 15 or 16 she decided uh, that she would run a Sunday school for what were called the Shawleys. They were the mill girls, the girls that worked in the mill, probably younger, sort of 12, 13 year olds, and they wore a shawl over them rather than hats, that's why they're called the Shawleys. And it, she just started to run, she saw a need and she started to run Sunday school for these girls. And it grew to 500 people, 500 people, as she saw the need and she stepped out in faith. The sixth uh, challenge, and this is the, the, the final one we'll look at this morning, the sixth challenge to fruitful life is forgiveness. Verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Unforgiveness hinders our prayers, and unforgiveness hinders our fruitfulness, because it distances us from the vine. And uh, I can't have a fruitful life when I'm full of unforgiveness and bitterness, because the fruit I produce will have that bitter flavour to it. And so in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says something fairly unthinkable. He says that there's one circumstance when you're allowed to get up in the middle of a church service, you're allowed to gather all your stuff, clamber over 15 people and head out the door, other than your children need you, okay? One circumstance, here's the circumstance, here's the justifiable reason for doing that, to attempt to repair a broken relationship, to reconcile a strained relationship, to re-establish love where love was broken down. It's Matthew 5, Verses 23 to 24. If you hold something against anyone while you're at the altar, leave it there and go and be reconciled. Sort it out. Because God doesn't use and can't use bitter people in fruitful ways. God only uses those who are willing to forgive others. Our horizontal relationships with one another have a massive impact on our vertical relationship with God, which in turn then affects how fruitful we are horizontally, one with another um, again. So in conclusion then, Jesus wants this fig tree to be fruitful. He expects it to be fruitful in season and out of season. And likewise for our lives, he wants us to be fruitful. He's chosen us for fruitfulness, ready to produce fruit at all times and all stages uh, of life, ready to serve him in expected ways, and in unexpected ways. Fruitfulness through our daily work, whatever we do. Fruitful through our, our wider lives in the church and the community through serving others. And so, am I a producer of good, healthy fruit like my chilies last year, or am I more like the one this year? Okay, am I a consumer and just a consumer and not being fruitful? Have I learned to feed on God's words? And am I feeding my life on the right things? Am I relationally grafted in to this Jesus, the true vine? You know, where am I in finding out what I'm to do in life? You know, do I, am I at a stage where I need to have a rethink of that? Who am I? What I do? Who am I doing it for? How are they transformed? What are their needs? You know, what fears stop me and do I battle with that stop me from being fruitful? What friends do I need around me um, so that I can be more fruitful in my life? And then to live by faith, trusting God 
praying and expecting fruitfulness through me and to be a person of forgiveness rather than of bitterness holding grudges.